Good morning, church family. Um, Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. My name is Amy Bridges, and I have the honor of reading our scripture today from Luke 23, verses 44 through 49. Luke 23, 44 through 49. These words come to us recorded by human hands under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and therefore, they come today as the very word of God. So let's ready our hearts to hear the word of our Lord from Luke 23, 44 to 49. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, He breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Christ, Kevin, it is a a wedding church. Um, We have a lot of weddings, uh, and that's awesome. I love going to weddings. We went to a wedding last night of some of our members, and uh, just very grateful for that. When when I was first uh, in ministry right out of seminary, um, I was the pastor of more of a funeral church. Um, uh, First Baptist Covington, we had a lot, of, we had weddings there, but we had more funerals. And it was just that kind of a church. It was, you know, the downtown kind of First Baptist church. But, but actually, that's really good for a church. Um, it's good to go to a funeral. It, it's good to consider the brevity of life. It's, it's good to mourn. It's good for a church in a, in a lot of ways. It, you know, it's not too long ago that pretty much every church house had a cemetery next to it. And so on, on your way to church, you're walking, as you were walking to worship, you would walk by the graves of family members, loved ones, your, your uncle, your grandfather, people that had gone before you. You had to remember that, okay, this faith is not just something that I came up with. It's not just something of, of this generation. We actually stand on the shoulders of these generations that have come before us. It was also just a great reminder, your life is not terminal. You know, one day it will be you uh, in the grave. You're not going to, at least in this age and in this way, live forever. It's good to think about that. And if you, over the last few weeks, if you've been with us, we've been thinking about the death of our Lord Jesus and these statements that he gave on the cross, seven statements that Jesus made while he was on the cross. And they're really interesting, very important. And today's passage is, of course, no different. I want to look at this phrase, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And, and actually, this little passage, it actually unlocks for us both how to live and how to die. Uh, incredibly important passage. So first, let's, let's talk about that, how to live. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. You know, one of the things, if you've been coming to Christ's covenant for any amount of time, you, you've heard me talk about this idea that your soul your life 
was made for God. You, you were designed to be in line with God. You were designed to know God. And, and this actually is where life is found. This is where joy is found. When you can get this, when you can realize my soul is God's, my soul is for God, there's actually celebration in that. You know, one of the reasons it's good to go to a wedding is it is a feast. And, and I think, you know, modern Christians in, in some regard have lost this idea of a feast. Like we, we should be better at feasting as Christians. If you've read the gospels, the ministry of Jesus, it's full of feasts. Jesus is always going to Jerusalem to feast. And those feasts, they were important. They were, they were ways to remember the kindness of God. They were, they were ways to remember that, that this people, the people of Israel, that they were God's people, that, that they knew God, that they had hope in God. They had life in God. There was a celebration of that because to know God, that's where life is. That's where life is. And that's how Jesus lived. He lived in fellowship with God. He lived with, in fellowship with the Father and with the Spirit throughout his life. He always lived by the Father's will and design. He always lived in communion with the Holy Spirit. And that's very important. Jesus came to earth fully human, clothed, as it were, in humanity, fully human, yet he lived as a human in communion with God. He, he lived as a human in the way we're all supposed to live in perfect communion with his Father, in perfect communion with the Holy Spirit. He, he lived as a human, but he never lost his Trinitarian communion. He modeled life for us. He modeled the abundant life for us. And we see it here in his death. Into your hands I commit my spirit. He's, 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 he's trusting the Father even in his death. But of course we see it all throughout his life, throughout the life of Jesus, he is obeying the Father. He is submitting to the Father. He is living by the will of the Father. This is John 6. I got a couple of verses for you here. But, but notice this. This is just the posture of Jesus throughout his life. I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me, to do my Father's will. This is how he lived his whole life. Jesus says in John 12, I've not spoken of my own authority, but the Father. Notice this, I mean, he's, he's, he's always giving praise to his Father. The Father who sent me himself has given me a commandment. I am obeying the Father. The Father is telling me what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment, this is an amazing verse that, that many of us probably haven't thought deeply about. I, I was reading it this week, I was like, man, I need to think about this more deeply. Verse 50 here at the beginning, it says, I know that his commandment is eternal life. I know that his commandment, the commandment of God, the commandment of the Father is eternal life, which means that the order of God, the way of God, the design of God, that's where life is. So Jesus says, what I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me, because his command is eternal life. Life is in God. You were meant for God. And if we would just live like that, if we could just get this posture of Jesus, there is so much joy and life and hope there. Of course, Philippians 2, this famous passage, I skipped over it there. Jesus being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, but rather he took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself to his father's will. He was made in human likeness. Jesus humbled himself to his 
Father's will. Do you see what Jesus is doing throughout his life? He came and he lived as a human being. And, and he shows humanity in his life. The life of Jesus is so important. He shows humanity how we are to live, what life really is. There's a great paradox. Slides are messed up here. It says, the more you live for yourself, okay? Now listen to this. This is the great paradox of life. The more that you live for yourself, the less satisfied you'll be. Now that's interesting. The more you live for God, the more you live for others, the more satisfied you will be. Now it shouldn't be this way, right? This is a great paradox. It's counterintuitive. It should be the more you live for yourself, the more time you spend thinking about yourself, the more money you spend on yourself, the more time you worry about yourself, the more time you're self-concerned, the more time you prop yourself up, the happier you'll be. Like that, that is what comes to you naturally. But, but of course, let's just, let's talk straight, right? I mean, is that, is that the way it goes? <laughs> is that where you find happiness? Is that where you find joy? No, it's, it's actually in the very opposite. It's, it's, it's when you're focused on the Lord. It's, it's when you're focused on others. It's, it's actually when you give your life away that that's actually where this intense joy, this intense peace is found. And here's the deal. What that proves is, what that proves is you were never meant for yourself. You're never meant to live for yourself. The design of God is that you would live for him, that you would love him and that you would love his creation. You would love the things that he has made. That, that's why when we live for others, when we live for God, there's so much joy and life in that. And here's the deal. That's exactly what we see in Jesus. Even though he is God, right? As he comes in human form, this is the way he lives. Into your hands, Father. I commit my life. I commit my spirit. We see this in his death. We see this in his life, his constant dependency on God for identity. In the life of Jesus, even though he is God, I mean, this is the amazing thing about Jesus. We see in him, in his humanity, his constant dependent, dependence on God for his own identity. And that's why you see in the life of Jesus this outward love, this outward energy. Now, uh, this is important because a lot of people will say, well, you know, Jesus, you know, he was kind of a pushover, right? You know, he, he was always meek. He was always weak, you know. They, they have this view of Jesus that's just kind of this kind of pushover kind of guy. Well, yeah, he, you know, kind of got killed, right? He, you know, he couldn't stand up to the Romans. People can look at Jesus that way. But, but is that, what's true of Jesus? Is that is that how we're actually supposed to understand Jesus? I mean, just, just look at the ministry of Jesus. Look at his discourse with the Pharisees. Just look at how he lived his life. There's no weakness in Jesus. But there was this incredible humility about him. Now, that's very interesting. And I think that's very hard for us to understand how Jesus didn't succumb to pride on one side, but how he was humble on the other side. You know, up until about 100 years ago, um, psychologists would say that you know, the problem with the world is too much pride, Pe people having too high a view of themselves, right? And so the, the problem with the world is hubris, right, was the word, you know, people thinking too much of themselves. That's, what, that's why people steal. That's why people murder, right? Because they think too much of themselves. They're too full of themselves. That's why people cheat. That's why people do all sorts of things. They, they have too high, they have too an inflated view of themselves. But in the 20th century, that changed. Psychologists said, no, the problem with people is that they have too low of self-esteem, right? 
They think too low of themselves. We need to build people's self-esteem up. That will help us to overcome evil in the world. The reason people do evil things is that they have too low a view of themselves. So we need to build them up. And so we've kind of taken to that. And we've spent the last, you know, 50 you know, 70 years or so, telling people how special they are, telling people how amazing they are. And it's interesting, that's created an interesting dynamic, hasn't it? You know, it, there, there was a time, you know, in our, our previous generation where people respected one another's authorities, right? If you went to a doctor, you'd listen to what the doctor said because the doctor had been to medical school or a police officer, right? You, you respected their authority. They had a badge. They were a police officer. We're gonna listen to the authority that they have or even, even pastors, right? You know, they've been to seminary there. Uh, they're a respected class or government officials. There was a sense of decorum with how we talked about President of the United States or something like that. Of course, <laughs> you understand my point. I mean, so much of that kind of just automatic respect that somebody might have for an office or for a position, it's very different now. And I'm not necessarily arguing for or against that right now. I'm just saying the point I'm trying to make here is do you see how the view of the self has changed, how people's view of themselves has changed. People have an incredibly high view of themselves these days. There, there's enormous confidence in themselves. People, have, we've done a good job lifting up people's self-esteem. I mean, just look at the way people talk to one another. Look at discourse between one another. People have a very high view of themselves, right? Everybody's an expert on everything, right? You know, there's a time when people said the problem with the world is that people have too low a self-esteem, then, of course, we said, well, let's get out of everybody a high self-esteem. And it, <laughs> does the world seem to be doing any better? So that's a, it brings up this question about Jesus. I mean, how was he both humble, but he wasn't proud? Or how was he so courageous, but he was always gentle? How was how he so kind, yet he, he had this grit about him? And here's the secret. I want you to hear this. Here's the secret to our Lord Jesus. Jesus was always focused on the Father. That's how he lived his life. He didn't think too highly of himself. He didn't think too lowly of himself. He was just focused on the other. He was focused on pleasing his Father. And that's the secret. That's the key. That is the secret to life. It's, it's being more outward than inward. It's, it's giving yourself away. It's, in, it's inconveniencing yourself for the other. The, the way up is actually down. It's, it's, it's out. The way to inward joy is out. You know, C.S. Lewis talked about this when he talked about the idea of humility. And he said, you know, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less, <laughs> It's thinking of God more. It's thinking of others more. Humility is not some false self-deprecation, right? It's some bad view of, you know, oh, how horrible I am, even though you don't really believe that. Humility is just not being self-occupied, right? It's not self-deprecation. It's just not self-preoccupation. That's how Jesus lived. He was always in tune with his father. One more passage to that end, John 8, 28 and 29, Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and I do nothing. <laughs> it's amazing the kind of things Jesus says, even though he, he is God. Yet this is how he lived his life as a human being. I do nothing from my own authority, even though it's, it's kind of saying there, even though I actually have a lot of authority, <laughs> but that's not how I live. I, I do nothing on my own authority, but I, I speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things. 
that please my father. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I'm so focused on pleasing him. Don't you see, that's, Jesus is actually giving us the secret here. What is the secret to life? What is the secret of joy? It's, it's not being so focused on yourself. It's being focused on God. It's being focused on others. That's actually how Jesus, who is himself God, who has authority, that's actually how he lived. You know, if you, if you look at many of the self-help books, if you just go to a self-help book aisle in a store, or I guess on Amazon, however people buy books these days, they capture this essence of self-love, right, that we all have. And this is smart. I mean, publishers are smart. I mean, they, if you want to make money, uh, put a, create a title with the word you in it, right? And people will be like, oh. They, they know that we have this impulse. They know that we all have this self-love impulse. And so they write these books. You know, these are real titles. You know, your fully charged life, your best life now, becoming a better you, girl, wash your face. You know, they are, they're you-centered, right? And again, Publishers get this. I mean, publishers know this. They, they, they're smart. They, they make a lot of money. There's a lot of books being sold. Soren Kierkegaard, though, he actually knew better. He called this self-love, this self-impulse. Here's what he called it. He, said, he called it a sickness unto death. A sickness unto death. It's this great concern with our own ego, this, this need to be built up, to have something or someone all the time that tells us we are special. And again, no matter how much of it we get, we always want more. <laughs> we always need more. Tim Keller, in, in his great little book, the, it's really a sermon, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, he says this, have you ever thought about the fact that you do not notice your body until there's something wrong with it? When we're walking around, we're not usually thinking about how fantastic our toes are or how brilliantly our elbows are working today. We only think like that if there'd previously been something wrong with them. That is because the parts of our body that draw attention to themselves is if there's something wrong with them, right? You only really notice your body when it's hurting. And that's what he says. He says the ego, that part of your body, often hurts. It's because it has something incredibly wrong with it, something unbelievably wrong with it. It's always drawing attention to, the, to itself. It does so every single day. It's always making us think about how we look and how we're treated. Sometimes people say their feelings are hurt, but our feelings can't be hurt. It's the ego that hurts. It's the sense of self, the sense of identity. Our feelings are fine. It's our ego that hurts. And so again, self-help books, they, they, they come and they say, you are awesome. And again, it's a great marketing strategy because next year you need another book that says you're still awesome or you're even more awesome. But you know, Jesus actually wrote a great little self-help book. It, it, it's called The Great Commandment. And here's, and this is it. This is, this is all the self-help you really need. I want you to hear this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your, with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, right? That's the intent, that's actually, that in there, the, the command to love God, that's actually where joy is found. That, that's actually where confidence is found. That's actually where poise and strength and peace is found. It's found in the love of God. He says, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Even Jesus is picking up on this self-love. He's saying that, you know, the kind of intensity that you have towards yourself 
That kind of self-love that you all have, it actually should be directed toward God and toward others. That's where joy is found. That's how you're supposed to live, into your hands. I commit my spirit. That's, it's not just how Jesus died, it's how he lived. But it is how he died, and that brings us to the second point, how to die. Talk about how to live. Now, how do you die? It's actually something you should probably think about. You know what's interesting about this, um, you know, what's interesting about this passage, if you really think about it, so, you know, back at First Covington, when I did all those funerals, it, if, if you do a funeral, you know, at, at the end of the funeral, the, you know, what you do is you go to the graveside service. And the graveside service always kind of looks the same way. You know, I remember like the first time doing a funeral, you know, you don't really know. I didn't take a class like how to do funerals. And so, you know, I'm calling people, say, what, what am I supposed to do here? What am I supposed to do Because everybody's looking at you like, you know, it's the first time I've done it. And so, but you go to the graveside service and, and you do what's called a committal, right? And if you've been to a funeral, you know what I'm talking about. And you, 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 you either say a prayer, you make a statement, and it, it's something like this. You know, God, we, we commit this body. We commit the, the body of our dear brother or sister into your hands. We're burying them into the ground with the hope of the resurrection through Jesus our Lord. We're entrusting this person, this brother, this sister into your care, oh Lord. They're, they're no longer in any of our care. They're now in your care. Well, that, that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. It's interesting. He's kind of preaching his own committal. He says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. In his death, he is resting the care of himself, of his life, into his father's hands. So he lived his life, but it's actually also how he died. He, he rests himself in the care of the father. And of course, the father took good care of him. He raised him back up to life. And that's why Jesus is able to go to death. I mean, just look at the death of Jesus. That's why he has so much poise and faith and calm. He trusts his father. He trusts his father. In his death, he trusts his father. And here's the, the great news for us is the same invitation is available to any of us. We can know through Christ, we can know the Father to take care of us in death. And just as he raised Jesus back up, he will also raise us back up. Do we trust the Father in our death? Can, can we face death again? I mean, nobody, nobody thinks about death in a pleasant way, but can we face it with confidence and with poise and with peace? Can we face it with peace? Because we trust the Father. Is that how you think about death? You know, it's interesting how uncomfortable people are with death. <laughs> it, 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 I feel like it's increasing, an increasing discomfort with the reality of death. You, you know, there, there, I feel like there are fewer funerals today. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, it was kind of unthinkable to not have a funeral 30 years ago, but a lot of times people will pass. I hear people passing all the time. You know, people that I've been close to, and there's no sense of service. People say, I just don't want to think about this. I don't want to have to think about death. There are fewer burials, fewer grave sites. There's fewer reminders to us of death these days. People are uncomfortable when they have to talk about their own death. You know, here's the deal, guys. Let me shoot straight with you. You're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're all going to die. Unless the Lord returns before, you're going to die. You all have a limited number of days. Some of you have lived big chunks of your life already. And actually, the knowledge of death, being able to face death, gives you an enormous amount of wisdom. Psalm 90, 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom, that we may be wise. It actually helps you to live a good life, a righteous life, a wise life. 
If we could just trust the Father, if we could just follow the example of our Lord here, just trust the Father, we could live without so much anxiety. We could live without so much shame. We could live without this nagging fear of doing enough with our life, right? You know that fear? Have I done enough? Have I accomplished enough by this age? You know, that is a, that's an ethic of the age. But, but can you just trust the Father with your life and with your death? We, we live without this feeling of having wasted our, our time and our days. We, we just trust the Father with our death. All of this comes from being inward focused by needing to feed the ego, to tell the ego, to tell the ego, yes, you are something, you've done something, rather than just trusting the Lord. Don't you see, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Into your hands, Lord, I commit my life. And, and if you believe that, you can actually live with the peace of God in your heart. So we've talked about how to live. We've talked about how to die. But third, we have to get to this. How do you do it? <laughs> how do we do this? How do our hearts turn this way. One of the things the gospel writers want us to pick up on in the ministry of Jesus is they want us to see that Jesus is in control even in his death. He's trusting the Father, but in his faith in the Father, he is in control. You know, the Jews and the Romans are killing him, yes, but he's in control of the situation. You know, Matthew 26, he says to his disciples, Do you not know that I could appeal to my Father? And at once they'll send 12 legions of angels. Basically, Jesus is saying, don't you see what's happening here? I, I have authority over the Romans, but I, I'm in control. Something bigger is going on here. Even in, his, even in the, the parts of scripture that talk about him dying, you know, Matthew 27, he yielded up his spirit. He is yielding up his own spirit. Even our text today, it's interesting. Luke 23, it says, Jesus called in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then having said this, he breathed his last. It's in a sense, he's, he's giving up his life. You know, it could have just said he died, but I think the gospel writer is, is showing us something here, that, that Jesus is in control. He, he is laying down his own life is the message of the gospel writers. He is laying down his own life. And of course, that's the message because that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He is laying down his life. And he's laying down his life for this great reason. It's what he told us that he would do. Turn with me to John 10. I'm, we're not gonna come back to Luke, so if you turn, you don't have to turn back. We'll be here at John 10, but I want you to see this. This is what our Lord said. And if you can get these eight little verses here, everything we talked about, about how to live and how to die, you can do this. If, if these verses will, if the coin will drop on these in your heart today, then you'll be able to say with our Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, for his people. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he who is not own sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves and he flees and the wolf snatches the sheep and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. But I'm not like that, Jesus says. I'm the good shepherd. And this next little verse is amazing. He says, I know my own, and my own know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. 
and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not in this fold, but I must bring them in also. He's talking about Gentiles here. He's talking about us. That they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it away from me. This is what Jesus said he would do. And this is what he did. I lay down my life. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. But who did he receive it from? Who is he obeying in this? Where is his attention turned? This charge I've received from my father. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? I mean, this is an amazing passage. He he is saying, look at what he says here in 14 and 15. He says, the same kind of love that the father and I share, right? The same kind of love that the father and I have for one another, this Trinitarian eternal love. This is the kind of love that I have for my sheep and the kind of love that I want them to have for me, the kind of knowledge that I want to have for for them and and them for me. I, I know my own, I know my own sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father, (laughs) Do you see the invitation of the gospel here? Do you see what the good shepherd is inviting you into? He's saying, I I wanna know you and I want you to know me in the same way that the father and I know one another. I want that to kind of that intimate relationship with you. And, and, And in order to do this, in order to invite you and I've laid down my life for you, I've given you everything. Here's the question today. Do you know God like this? I mean, do you really know God like this? Do you, do you just know him as some tyrant in the sky? Do you just know him as some part of your family tradition? Or do you really know him like this, the shepherd who loves you, who laid down his life for you, who's given you everything? Do you, do you know him like this? I mean, Jesus is saying here, everybody else is a hired hand. <laughs> I mean, everybody else is a hired hand. This is how most everybody is. They're hired hands. That's how the world operates. You have, that's what you have to perform. You have to perform. You have to perform. You have to do so. You have to be valuable to the other person. Most people find their life in hired hands. And Jesus says, when the wolf comes, when trouble comes, when you really get in a pinch, the hired hand flees. And the sheep, the sheep gets snatched up and scattered. But he says, I'm not like that. No, I, I laid my life down for my sheep. I've given everything that you, that you may know me and that I may know you and that we, we may have this knowledge just as I have with the Father. Jesus laid his life down for you, don't you see? He didn't lay it down for anything he had done. He was innocent. No, he laid his life down for his sheep, for you. And when you get this, I mean, when you really get this, I mean, we looked at this passage last week, but I just love it. The beginning of 2 Corinthians 5, 14. The love of Christ controls us. When you've tasted a shepherd like this, that loves you, that it controls you, it changes you, it reorients you. Has that happened to you? When that happens, you can say, in your hands, in your life, I commit myself. I, I commit my spirit to you, Lord. I trust you with my life. You know, everybody's into... Um, Kevin Costner, again these days, Yellowstone, big hit, streaming TV. But, you know, when I was a kid, we were all into Kevin Costner too, but I I didn't, um, not because of Yellowstone, but because of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. You you remember that movie? Robin Hood, great movie, Kevin Costner. There's a character in it that's played by Morgan Freeman. His name is Azim. 
And there's a point in the movie when Robin Hood saves Azim's life. And, and in response to this, Azim so gets what's happened here that in response to this, he vows that he would be with Robin Hood. He would be loyal to Robin Hood until he can return the favor, until he can save his life. And, and I think there's something instructive in that. You know, we, we talk about the cross at Easter. We're talking about the death of Jesus at this time of year in this seven sayings passage. But have you ever seen the cross like that? That Jesus was laying down his life for you. That Jesus was rescuing you, saving you, redeeming you. That he laid down his life for you. He, nobody took it from him. He laid it down of his own accord for his you, for his sheep, so that you may know him and know the Father. And if you really get that, you'll give your whole life to him. I love the old song says, love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all. You can say with Jesus, when you really see this, into your hands I commit my spirit, into your hands I commit my life. Jesus committed his life to his Father's care in life and death. Here's the question, have you, have you, have you seen how much God loves you? Have you seen how you can trust him? You can trust him in life, you can trust him in death. Every situation in your life, you can trust him with your own death, you can trust him. Have you committed your life to him? Have you rested your life in him? And if not, then what else are you trusting in? What else are you trusting in? You know, the old Heidelberg Catechism, it begins this way, and I think it's a good place for us to end. It asks the question, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is this, that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sin. He laid down his life for me with his precious blood. He set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him by his Holy Spirit, he assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that by faith we could say that our only hope in life, our only hope in death is that we belong both in body and in soul to our faithful Savior, Jesus, our faithful Savior, Jesus, the good shepherd, the good shepherd who laid down his life for us. Lord, may we say with him now, into your hands we commit ourselves. <laughs> in we commit, in our, into your hands we commit our, your, our spirits or our life. Your love for us has been so amazing, so divine. It demands our soul, our life, our all. And so, Father, I pray that we would trust you today. We would trust you with everything in our lives. Father, I pray we would trust you today. We would trust you in our death. We could face death, not, not with any sort of desire, but with a poise, with a peace. Knowing that the one who is sovereign over life and death, we have fellowship with because of Jesus. Help us to believe these things today. 
Give us rest. Give our weary souls, Lord, in this age that demands so much of us, Lord, rest. Help us to hold on in this, in this weary and anxious age to the light burden, to the easy yoke of Jesus. Help us to rest in him, Father. Turn our hearts toward him. Pray in his name.